Hey everybody, welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. We have now set our scripts for the next live show, which is going to be in the afternoon of Sunday, September 23rd at Dynasty Typewriter at the Hayworth Theater in L.A. We have a script by Morgan Murphy, who, in addition to being a brilliant stand-up, has written on Two Broke Girls, Crank Yankers, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, we already have Lauren Lapkus and Aparna Nanchala lined up for that one. More great people coming. Uh, we have a script by Brian Gallivan, creator of The McCarthy's, another hilarious script. And we've got a pilot by Mehar Sethi, who's a writer for BoJack Horseman, It's Always Sunny, The Mick, Robot Chicken, to name just a few. Uh, we'll have a lot more casting news soon. Uh, I think we're going to have some exciting cast for this one. If you've never seen Dead Pilot Society Live, this is your chance. If you have seen Dead Pilot Society Live, I don't need to tell you how much fun it is. Just go to Eventbrite, search Dead Pilot Society, and get your tickets. Uh, do you guys all subscribe to this podcast? You really, you should. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, just click subscribe. It's so easy. Even a stereotypical mom character on a sitcom who doesn't understand technology could do it. There's no excuse. Just come on. Subscribe. So it's pitching season here in broadcast television land. Uh, I haven't taken out a pitch of my own yet this season, but I've been hearing a lot of pitches from other writers. Uh, These are writers who are looking for a showrunner or, in some cases, a a co-writer. Um... I've got a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, I don't know. For a long time, I pitched shows of my own, but I didn't have a lot of opportunities to hear other writers pitch. So I didn't know how other people did it. It's not like there's some rule book. It's not like anyone really tells you how to do it. You hear advice from agents, you hear advice from studio people, but it's it's conflicting. You don't know um, how does one go about doing this. And I was always wondering if other writers were doing it in some totally different and superior way. You know, starting with when I was writing with my old writing partner uh, and and even now, like, I would always try and be off book. Um, you know, my partner, we would have the pitch on paper in case we got lost, but we didn't read from it. And what I've learned hearing all these pitches is that seems to be pretty rare. Most of the pitches I hear are people reading, just reading their pitch documents, um, often very long pitch documents. So I guess that's what the studio and network people uh, are used to, and they expect that. And that's been kind of a revelation. I think I will still try and do the off-book route. Um I mean, here's the thing I've learned, and and I'm hoping that maybe this applies beyond just TV pilot pitching, but I just want to be told a story. Um, I don't want to hear a lot of hype about why an idea is relevant to this particular moment, how personal it is to the writer, why it fills some niche in the marketplace that isn't being filled, why the country needs this show right now. I really just want the person pitching to suck me into a narrative, however sketchy or incomplete that narrative might be. But, you know, I hear a lot of long character descriptions laying out these characters' 
personalities and backstories, but I just want to have those characters be doing something. I just want to get sucked in to a story, and then you know you can go back and fill in more details. But when I just hear a lot of details, and I don't have that story to hang them on. It's I find it's hard for me to really get interested in. You know, and I'm kind of talking to myself here because I know I've had plenty of pitches where I didn't follow this advice. Um, and I did just give hype and, and details. Um, but being on the other end of these pitches is very clarifying. You, you forced it to really ask yourself now. I think I'm asking myself now, how, would I be engaged if I was on the receiving end of this pitch? And... I think the thing about being off book is that when you write something that you know you're just going to read aloud from a page, it's easier to just get lost in the prose and get overly wordy and lose sight of the fact that we all just want to be told a story and that that is what is going to make us care and be interested in the pitch. And I think that's true for whatever you're trying to sell. Um, at any rate, our dead pilot this time comes from Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher. Uh, Justin wrote the best-selling books Shit My Dad Says and I Suck at Girls. Justin and Patrick created the TV version of Shit My Dad Says as well as Surviving Jack. They're currently showrunning uh, an animated, an sort of R-rated animated Harley Quinn show for this new DC Comics streaming service. Uh, it sounds really cool. They actually showed me some early uh, animation, little clips from the show, and it looks like it's going to be really funny. They've got amazing uh, talent. Kaylee Cuoco, Lake Bell, uh, Alan Tudyk, Tony Hale. I mean, they listed it was amazing, the people that they have, uh, the voice talent they have for this thing. I think it's going to be really fun. But we're not hearing that. We're hearing their dead pilot called Suspended. Uh, Matt Jones, probably best known as Badger from Breaking Bad, plays the lead, Paul Cavanaugh. Phil Lamar, whose voice you know from Futurama and Family Guy and basically everything, plays the principal, Wendell. We had a really great cast of young actors play the students. We had Lou Wilson from American Vandal as Steven, uh, Kira Kosserin from The Thundermans as Kaylee, Nathan Anderson from All About the Washingtons as Braden, uh, UCB superstar Lauren Holt as Erica, Jason Janeo from On My Block as David. Uh, we had Dead Pilots Darling, Aiden Mayeri. Uh, you guys are getting to know her quite well uh, as Diana. John Gemberling from Broad City as Jake. Uh, Carrie Wampler from Austin and Alley and the Yellowbirds as Claudia. Uh, so here is my partner Ben Blacker's live interview with Justin and Patrick, followed by the reading of Suspended. And stay tuned after the reading uh, Justin and Patrick and I sat down for a more in-depth conversation about the script, uh, and it was a very, really honest and, and fun conversation. So hopefully you'll stay tuned after the table read for that. All of that is coming up after a brief message. Beloved Maximum Fun Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation, is going out on tour. We are bringing Greatest Gen Con... <laughs> To a bunch of cities in the U.S. and Canada. It's our big tribute to slash send up of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And we have a big leg coming up. 
Yes, we are raising our legs on a number of cities <laughs> in the coming weeks. We're going to Washington, D.C. on August 23rd, the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York on August 24th, Mass Mocha in North Adams, Massachusetts on August 25th, Pittsburgh on the 28th, Boston, Massachusetts at the Wilbur Theater on the 29th, Atlanta, Georgia at the Earl on the 30th, Ferndale, Michigan at the Magic Bag on the 31st. Those are some great big rooms and some great big cities, Ben. And it's a really fun show. It's accessible even if you haven't listened to the podcast yet. We can't wait to see you when we're out on tour. Check greatestgencon.com for dates and ticketing information. And Khan is spelled K-H-A-N because Wrath of Khan, greatestgen, K-H-A-N.com. Please welcome uh, the authors of our third and final pilot, Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern. Come on up, guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for letting us uh, read this pilot. The pilot is called Suspended. Correct. Yes. Uh, give us a little bit of the uh, history of, of this pilot. This was just from last year, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a new failure. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yeah, no, we sold it to Fox, and it's one of those situations where the person who bought it from us left their job like halfway through. <laughs> so we were like, this is probably not going to go. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. Um, and this is, again, this is a story we've heard time and again on Dead Pilot Society. You know, there are these regime changes and the mandates of the networks change. Um, so this was for Fox. This is uh, sort of dissimilar to stuff you guys have done in the past in that it is, there are kids in it. Like, it's a classroom comedy. Um, where did that come from? Uh, we were talking about like movies we loved, election being one of them, and we had originally, this pilot had sort of had an election component to it, really? uh, but we, yeah, we just always have kind of loved stories that have high school kids in them. And We had really, really different high school backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I went to like an all-guys Catholic school with, run by Benedictine monks. Uh, we had 52 guys in my graduating class, and like everybody, all the teachers there had a doctorate, and everybody was very erudite, and... Justin yeah, I went to a public school where I was called Buddha like a thousand times a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we were just kind of like, hey, what if a uh, teacher from my school taught the uh, in-school suspension kids at Justin's high school? <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's yeah, a great that pitch. Was, that was kind of the inception. And also everybody's a robot in it. Right, obviously. <laughs> yeah. obviously. So, it wouldn't be here if that wasn't that true. That was be a big reveal had it gotten <laughs> no. picked up. Yeah. Um, was the, how was the development process on this pilot? It was actually pretty good. I mean, we've had some, like, really terrible development processes <laughs> where you, we literally sold a show once where the name of the show was called That's a Terrible Idea, and it was about people having terrible ideas, and the very first note we got was they're like, what if no one had any terrible ideas, though? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we've had those kind of development experiences where we're like, what, wait, why did you buy this from us? <laughs> uh... But this one was actually really good. This was like, yeah, it was, I mean, aside from it not being shot, it was, it was one of the more pleasant ones we've had. That's good to hear. Do you guys feel like what ended up on the page is the uh, story and the script that you had imagined going into it? Yeah, I think so, other than the election component being completely right. ripped out, but we're shills, so. Well, it's like <laughs> <laughs> well I, th I feel like we'll talk about that at a later date. What we do uh, is often record longer interviews with these writers, so if you listen to the podcast, you'll get this very brief conversation, but we'll have a longer in-depth one that follows the reading of the podcast. Is there anything else, uh, the reading of the pilot, is there anything else that we need to know about this? Uh, will you work with Fox again? 
Yeah, no, we we really did. We had a uh, we had a good experience with them. Uh, if they're listening, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that it, this this is one of the ones that turned out. We we felt like pretty happy with it when it was when it was all done, which is not always the case. Yeah, no, that's really great to hear, and I think that it shows absolutely in the pile, and I think people will get to experience that. Thank you guys for exactly. letting us do it. This is suspended by Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher. It's the cold open. We're interior Parkway High in the gym. It's an all-school assembly. A banner on stage says, Teacher of the Year. A very poised 16-year-old, Claudia, stands behind the podium. To her left are four teachers seated in chairs. And the winner of the Parkway High Teacher of the Year Award, sponsored by Arby's, Arby's, we got the meats, is... <laughs> Claudia opens an envelope and pulls out a card. She looks at it and is immediately emotional. <gasps> Oh my God, this man changed my life. My honors English teacher, Mr. Paul Cavanaugh. Rising to raucous applause is Paul Cavanaugh. <laughs> Beaming with confidence and intelligence, he's witty, dresses casual but cool, and prides himself on not being one of the other cookie cutter public school teachers. A guy who's sure 60 Minutes is going to do a piece on him because of his unorthodox but incredibly successful teaching methods. Paul walks to the podium, basking in the adulation. He fist bumps Claudia. As the crowd quiets, someone yells, You the man, Mr. C. No, you're the man. You are all the man. Thank you uh, so much for this honor. I am truly humbled. <laughs> this is such a genuine surprise. Um, I didn't really have a speech prepared. Uh, but I do have this. Hit it, guys. Paul points to the marching band who begins playing the opening notes of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Alexander Hamilton. Paul. How does a nearsighted, left-handed son of a nurse and doorman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot 30 miles outside of Providence, Rhode Island go all in when he figured out teaching was his true calling. We angle on Principal Wendell Davis, who can't wait to retire. He's super over this. Clearly, Paul does things like this a lot. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, I told myself, Paul, you're going to shape children's brains, man. Got a scholarship to study liberal arts at Yale, man. Now at Parkway High, preaching progressive education. My kids will never learn the same. Know what they said, man? The students go fucking apeshit. They said, teach us, Mr. Kavanaugh. They said, teach us, Mr. Kavanaugh. Sure, there's a million lessons that I taught, but I don't give grades. Okay, okay, stop the music. Stop! Thank you, Mr. Kavanaugh. Take your little trophy and have a seat. Uh, of course, Principal Davis, but before I do, there's something pressing I need to talk about while I have this platform. Uh, the school district is about to slash funding for our library and after-school programs. I'll play them off. The, the high school band begins to play a very mediocre rendition of Louie Louie. I, I, I can't stand here and accept this award, my fourth in as many years, while the bureaucrats harm the young minds, I took this job to help. 
student and teacher here needs to help fight this because you all deserve better. The audience all rises in shouts of agreement and begins to follow Paul out the exit. The kids and some teachers chant, Mr. Simpson, Mr. Simpson, Mr. God damn it, Paul. Everybody Let, sit down. Let's show this school district we won't stand for this. Who's with me? One student, Gabe, charges toward the exit as he screams, Mr. She is right. Let's all walk out right now. Well, wait, well, hold on. Not, not. Ah! Oh. Gabe runs out the Gabe runs out the door and suddenly we hear a screeching of tires followed by a thump. Ah, <laughs> and we go to the newsroom at Parkway High. It's the middle of a high school news broadcast replete with cheesy graphics touting Parkway High Student News Network. Claudia is the anchor behind the desk. She tries way too hard to seem professional with an over-serious delivery. The injured student is expected to make a full recovery, but Ghana will withdraw from Model UN as its diplomat undergoes physical therapy. <laughs> now for sports, Sandeep Chatterall. Sandeep, 15 diminutive, high-pitched voice trying way too hard to be a serious sportscaster, holds a football. Thanks, Claudia. Now who's ready to go, Sandeep? Sandeep throws the football on the word deep, and we cut to the principal's office. Wendell, seething, sits behind his desk across from Paul. He Paul. turns off the student news on his TV. Paul, I like to start my day by grabbing a coffee, putting my feet up, and organizing my rankings of every movie I've ever seen. But today, I had to clean up your mess instead of deciding whether the new Marvel movie is better or worse than Hidden Figures. I, 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 I don't think you can objectively compare those two. You don't know the criteria by which I rank movies. Every time you decide to teach outside the box, I have to deal with it. Do you know how many phone calls I got after you had that prisoner speak to your class? My job is to open minds. He's a published poet who just so happens to be named Crazy Chris the Nightmare Man. <laughs> well, my days of cleaning up for you are over. You committed the great American sin. You injured a white child. <laughs> So I'm pulling you from Honors English. What? I'm in the middle of doing great things with those kids. You pull me away from them now. Who, who knows what they won't become? You might be depraving the world of the next uh, Barack Obama, Elon Musk, Jonas Salk. You probably just gave cancer another 50 years. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you teach English, Paul. Well, not anymore, but don't worry. I've got something special for you. Something more suitable for your immense talent. And we go to the hallway. Wendell and Paul peer into a rundown classroom where a group of students, Stephen, Kaylee, Erica, crowd around Brayden, who chugs a gallon of milk. <laughs> Welcome to in-school suspension. You will be spending all day, every day, until the end of the year with this menagerie of delinquents. Braden, 16, enthusiastic about everything, wishes he was a YouTube star, drains the milk bottle and spikes it to the ground, then addresses his iPhone camera. Hey, yo, this is your boy Braden, and I just nailed the gallon of milk challenge, yeah! Braden's face goes ashen. You think this is a punishment, but you know what? There are honor students inside of these kids, too, and all they need is someone determined enough to bring it out of them. 
<laughs> oh, I think that was too much milk. <laughs> Have a great year. And we end the cold open. Act one, we're in the suspension classroom. Paul stands in front of the now-seated class. On his desk is a tall stack of folders containing paperwork. Good morning. All right, these are your records. They're apparently filled with all the terrible things the school says you've done. I wouldn't know. Haven't read them, because you know what I think of your records prior to right now? Paul tosses all the folders into the trash and drops a lit match in as well. The papers immediately catch fire. That's right. As far as I'm concerned, we start writing our new records. Uh. Kay Kaylee, 16, a professional eye roller, thinks everything sucks, lets out an audible groan. Are you dying? We all are. Too slowly. Can't we just sit here in silence? Well, you got assigned the wrong teacher because I can't do nothing. Yes, you can. It's easy. Look, I'm doing it right now. Uh, yeah, I was specifically told I wouldn't have to learn anything in this class. <laughs> Rule number one in a Paul Kavanaugh class, learning is unavoidable. The human brain is wired to learn. You just, you just forgot what learning looks like. I'm gonna get you reacquainted. One day, you're gonna be hanging out with your new best friend, and she's gonna take off her hoodie and be like, hey, it's me, learning. I was here all along. Steven, 16, wiry, a contrarian troll who tries to get a rise out of everyone, looks up. Holy shit. That was so tortured. Rule number two, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've taken my shoes off. <laughs> That's because a Paul Kavanaugh class should feel like a second home. Erica, 16, terse, an angry athlete with a temper, chimes in. Do you have a porta potty right outside your house? Because we do, and our stress case principal takes dumps in it. Just then, Principal Wendell steps out of the porta potty with a newspaper folded under his arm. He pulls up short, turns around, and re enters. Four times a day, always at the same time. It's like clockwork. Obviously, that's kind of gross, but that brings up rule number three where there's no excuse not to succeed in here. Is Cervantes could write Don Quixote in prison, I'm pretty sure we're gonna crush it. Paul sees Stephen writing in his notebook. Rule number four, no notes. If I've done my job, and I will, you won't need them. Oh no, I'm not taking notes. Ah, uh, and this is a picture of me having sex with a copy of Don Quixote. Uh, actually, you've just finished having sex? That's what that's. Yeah, I is. know, I know what that is. <laughs> Well, spelled the book title correctly, that's no easy feat. What's your name? Uh, Dick. Uh, Dick Stout for Harambe. His name is Steven, and he's a pervy edge lord. Oh, and Erica's a psycho. Do I have a video of you beating someone up at a soccer game constantly queued up on my tablet? Oh, look, I do. <laughs> Steven holds up his iPad and presses play on a video he already had queued up. On the iPad screen, we see Erica, a complete psycho, as she yanks a defensive player to the ground by her ponytail, and then, enraged, proceeds to kick her numerous times in the left kidney. Die! <laughs> we go back to the suspension classroom. Huh. Well, I like to think that you can accomplish just as savage a takedown with words as fists. 
You mean like call her a whore? Because I did that before I hit her. <laughs> See, like I said, psycho. Rule number five, we only speak positively of ourselves and each other. That includes using the word whore, unless you're using it in a positive sense, which means you've discovered a new use for the word whore, which would prove rule number one, learning is unavoidable. Paul notices that Braden is looking at his cell phone. Rule number six, no cell phones. Oh, sorry, I was just checking the views on my YouTube prank show, uh, that hot dog you're eating is a dead rat I found. <laughs> I guess that shows why you're in suspension. Yeah, apparently rats have like a lot of diseases. <laughs> yeah, he's that stupid. Uh, it's why I don't bother making fun of him. <laughs> he's such an angry little dude. Braden attempts to give Steven a fist bump. Steven <laughs> does not reciprocate. Come on, give it up, little man. Steven reluctantly fist bumps Braden. Real number whatever, this sucks. I wanna sit in silence. How do you know what sucks until you've tried it? She can tell when something sucks. It's a gift. <laughs> I'd argue a gift is something you use. I use it. I have a podcast all about things that suck. It's called, Actually, That Sucks. <laughs> yeah, that podcast is dope, though. No, it's not. It sucks. <laughs> like this class. Before Paul can respond, Diana, 35, the school's very unpretentious, no-bullshit guidance counselor, enters. Diana, come in. Hang with us. Oh, no, I, I want to keep my shoes on, just doing a drop-off. David, almost 16 and super clean-cut, enters. David, everyone, David uh, was one of my best students in Honors English. He's a perfect example of what happens when you buy in to a Cav Paul Cavanaugh class. The school finds a bunch of weed in your locker and sends your ass here. What? Uh, the, the marijuana was from anxiety. It was a pound of weed. <laughs> That's very anxious. Paul, can I talk to you in the hall? And we go to the hallway. Ugh, I knew it. I knew there would be repercussions from pulling me from honors English. I just didn't realize how quickly it would happen. He got busted a week ago. Where were you this morning? Whoever's in charge of suspension is supposed to meet with the guidance counselor before they start. Yeah, I'm good. I've got a vision. Okay, I know you've won three Teacher of the Year awards and you only have to follow I've won four rules. Teacher oh. of the Year awards. Well, you shared one. Well, Mr. Dodds beat cancer that year and they had to give him something. Look, okay, I'm supposed to download you on these kids. I know them. Mm. I, I know their parents. Mm. I know their allergies. I know which walls they like to etch penises into. Hey, who did the one in the faculty bathroom? Did it have three balls? Yeah. Steven. Ah. <laughs> well, other teachers may need the lowdown, but I don't. At least read the files. I burned them. You what? Yeah. I emailed them to you, too. Yeah, I deleted it. A common mistake teachers make is labeling their students. With my honors class, I allowed them to give them a chance to reveal their character to me as they see fit. Or you could just read the friggin' files that lay it all out for you. Mm. These kids are important to me, but I can only do so much. You're with them every day, and you don't know what to do. You just don't know what you don't know. You don't know that. <laughs> I, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I know what I'm doing. You've won four Teacher of the Year awards. Yeah, I've won four of them. Okay, four. I'm gonna go. Yeah. And we go back to the suspension classroom where Paul re-enters. The final rule of a Paul Cavanaugh classroom. David, come on. You wanna take this one? All the kids glare at David who shrinks. 
I'd rather sit this one out. Embrace the unknown. I don't believe in textbooks or regurgitating facts. I believe in myself and my abilities. If you want to buy in, we will go on a life-affirming journey together. This is my offer to you. Do you want to join me on this journey? Come in with your answer tomorrow. Paul smiles, looking like he's reached these kids. We're exterior of the parking lot. Paul pulls up to his parking spot to find the porta potty sitting in the middle of it. Painted on it is Tool. Some of his fellow teachers stop on their way in to see the spectacle. Paul is humiliated. Then the door to the porta potty opens and Stephen exits. Morning, Paul. Uh, we decided not to take you up on your offer. <laughs> and we end Act One. In Act Two, we're in the Parkway High Teachers Lounge. Wendell pours a cup of coffee, then perks up like an animal in the woods, sensing a predator. What do you want, Paul? We widen out to reveal Paul behind him. First off, in-school suspension is going great. We are killing it. But I was thinking, I'm worried about the kids from my honors English class uh, when it comes to coping with this transition. You're not getting your old class back. Why not? I already gave honors English to somebody else. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a parent waiting in my office to talk about the lunch menu, and I need to leave campus before she sees me. <laughs> Who when could you have possibly found on such short notice to replace me? Jake Mancini. Jake Mancini? Paul Kavanaugh. <laughs> Jake Mancini, affable, laconic, a little scruffy, slaps Paul on the back. Excited to see you too, uh, man. Yeah. I just wanted to say, first off, I'm still thinking about your Hamilton rap. It was the balls. <laughs> Secondly, I don't think it's right they took your class away. I mean, they had to do something, because that kid got messed up. <laughs> He's going to be fine. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I just want you to know I'm not taking this class lightly. I'm not really what you call a reader, per se. I'm more of a movie guy, so we're probably going to watch a few of those. It's an English literature class. Totally. <laughs> totally what? What does that mean? It means I feel you. What does that mean? It means game recognizes game. Good luck with the new class, buddy. Jake slaps Paul on the arm and crosses off. Paul stares daggers at Wendell, who gives a smiley fuck you wave from the Keurig machine. No luck needed. Uh, we're killing it. Diana crosses in. Oh, yeah? How come I saw a kid taking a dump in your parking spot? Yeah, well... Dr. Dre didn't write Chronic 2001 in a day. It took months of tweaking and changing, and then you can't discount what Eminem brought to the process. Paul, Paul, where is this going? I haven't had any time with these kids. I barely got through the rules of a Paul Kavanaugh classroom. If you can stop to take one piece of advice, maybe ease off on the rules with these kids in particular. You sound exactly like the record label Suits who told Dr. Dre that he was finished before uh, Chronic 2001 dropped. Diana shakes her head and walks off. Paul smiles. We're in the suspension classroom. Paul, sleeves rolled up, paces at the head of the class. Okay. I never expected you all to welcome me with open arms. That's not who you are. You guys are rebels. You challenge authority. Case in point, you all felt compelled to put a porta potty in my parking spot. That's no easy feat. Oh, it actually was. The construction workers did it for us. I just had to give them some of my grandma's painkillers. <laughs> oh, relax, she's dead. Glad to see you're 
processing that so well. Okay, so uh, today I'm going to do, I'm gonna do things a little differently. Dude, stop. They stuck us here because they want to forget about us, okay? Not because they want you to change our lives like we're in some Disney movie. Uh, it, it's true. I mean, if this were a Disney movie, we'd all have, like, whiter features. That's <laughs> not true. Well, the Disney part, yeah, that's true. But not the part about the school. They want you to succeed. No, they don't. They just care about kids like him. Well, he does have a 4.2 GPA. Uh, I don't think that um, particular piece of information is very useful, Mr. Kavanaugh. They just want us to graduate. They don't care how dumb we are when we do it. That's actually something I really admire about this school. <laughs> All I'm hearing are excuses. I'm going to show you what it means to be in control of your own life. Yesterday, I laid down my rules. But today, you all are going to come up with the rules for this class. If everyone agrees on them, they stick. Ah, I see what you're doing, bro. You're trying to sneak learning in. Oh, like how I try to sneak a dead rat into a hamburger bun somebody's eating from my YouTube prank show. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Wait, is that a different show than the hot dog one? Yeah. So, so just to get this straight, if I wanted to make a rule that said every class period should start by watching incest porn, then everyone would have to do that? Yep. If the entire class agrees that we should start each period watching incest porn, then we'll do that. Paul goes up to the chalkboard and writes, each period starts with incest porn on it. We're obviously not doing that, you disgusting piece of garbage. Okay, just FYI, they're not actually related. They're just actors playing brother and sister. <laughs> um, I'd like to make a rule that I should be able to curb stomp anyone as punishment. That's straight gangster you. Not how I'd handle conflict, but that's... Because you're a pussy. That was not going to be the rest of my sentence. But if that's a rule you want, it goes on the board. Writing on the board. Erica should be able to curb stomp someone as punishment. Who agrees? Everyone's hand goes up but Stevens. See, although that rule was very popular, it wasn't unanimous. David, what did Barack Obama say about making laws? Uh, um, a good law is like a good piece of music. You know, there's something for everyone in it. That's right, see? Now we're getting somewhere. Thank you, David. Who here thinks David should never be allowed to talk again? Everyone raises his or her hands. <laughs> David, David, put your hand down. David, put your... David, Lee, David sheepishly puts his hand down. I'm just trying to fit in. And please, stop calling on me. It's making them hate me more. Okay, I have a thought. How about we get out of this dump and have class outside? That is a fantastic suggestion, and I appreciate that it had nothing to do with pornography. Yeah, I knew it wouldn't have the votes. <laughs> Good job reading the room, Stephen. Thoughts on class outside? The sun sucks. <laughs> the sun, the thing that sustains all life, sucks. Yeah, it's overrated. Well. It's shady under the elm tree in the quad. Oh, that's actually where I came up with the idea for my prank show, Psych, Your Mom's Not Dead. I'm going to be honest, I sort of want to see that show. So, um, Kaylee, uh, quad under the tree? Whatever. Let's put it on the board. What else? Uh, I need to take down 4,000 calories to maintain body mass. We should be able to eat in here. Everyone shouts in agreement. There we go. See, we're five minutes in and already turned you into idea machines. Now, which one of you social animals is next? Everyone raises his or her hand. Paul smiles. He's reached them. As Paul excitedly calls on someone, we dissolve to the hallway. 
A still smiling Paul catches up to, D to Diana. They walk. I'm uh, sure you're wondering how my second day went. Let me guess, you took none of my advice and it went as well as it could possibly go. You joke, but I had a real breakthrough with the class. Paul and Diana enter the teacher's lounge, where all of the teachers are glued to the school news. On screen, news anchor Claudia has a breaking graphic. I am devastated to report that in-school suspension teacher Paul Cavanaugh was caught on tape expressing controversial ideas to his students, and we have the exclusive. We warn our younger viewers that there is some objectable language. On screen, a still image of Paul's yearbook photo and scrolling text a la Access Hollywood's Trump tape. Paul's students have crudely re-edited sound bites from the day's prior lesson and have placed them all out of context. Every class should start each period watching incest porn. In the lounge, Paul stands in horror. Back on the monitor. Teachers should be able to curb stomp anyone as punishment. <laughs> Mr. Cavanaugh capped off his disturbing presentation with this. The next soundbite is painfully edited together. I want to invite ISIS for <laughs> career day. They have some very good ideas. <laughs> we'll be back with any more developments on this deeply unsettling story of a teacher unhinged. Back in the lounge, Paul is apoplectic. To be honest, I like the curb stomp idea better than the porn one. <sighs> Off Paul's seething, we cut to the suspension classroom. Paul enters with a full head of steam. Look, okay, <laughs> I appreciate a joke at my expense. I have that kind of self-confidence. Uh, but all that joke did was embarrass you guys. Feels like it was just embarrassing for you. Well, congratulations. Uh, you've all successfully demonstrated how much you don't want me here. Uh, yeah, that's what we've been trying to do the whole time, but you didn't seem to be picking up on that. Well, hey, if it makes you feel any better, the only one of your rules we broke was the cell phone one, because uh, I had to record the audio. But we were all super respectful of each other when we did it. <laughs> I know that's a big one for you. <laughs> Look, I didn't ask to be here. Right. I mean, we're all down here for something. Even you. Yeah, but I'm here because I stood up to bureaucracy. Steven, you're here because you rigged the student election to elect someone named Gary the Xenophobic Walrus. Well, look who decided to read my file. I mean, by the way, the walrus is fine with immigrants who are here legally. <laughs> I could have whined about my situation, but unlike you all, I accepted the challenge and tried to make your lives better. And you just threw it back in my face. Well, it's like, you're always talking about helping us be better, but since you've been our teacher, I haven't gained a single new Instagram follower. You came in here spouting off all your rules like you're so cool and different, but you're full of crap. All you want is for people to think you're the cool teacher. Is that what you all think? Is that what you think, David? I mean, you did reference Cardi B more often than probably necessary for an English literature class. <laughs> Anyway, why should we listen to anything you say? The school doesn't even listen to us. I make one mistake and I'm in here for the whole year. Yeah, and I didn't even make a mistake. I mean, I did those videos on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a purity to how stupid he is. <laughs> so let us sit and do nothing for the rest of the year. Sorry if that hurts your ego, but maybe as a teacher, you actually kind of suck. I am a, I am a damn good teacher. Suburban Journal of Greater St. Louis said attending one of my classes was like floor seats at a Kendrick Lamar concert. No, it's not. <laughs> not even close. No. no. It's just too many hip-hop references. 
We don't all like hip hop. <laughs> well, fine, fine, go ahead. Blame the school for all your problems. I don't need this. I've won four, four Teacher of the Year awards. What have you done? It's a tense moment between him and the class when suddenly a cell phone buzzes. <coughs> Joke's on you, bro. Or are we hot dog buns just follow me. <laughs> <laughs> and we end act two. Act three, we're interior of the hallway. It's after school. The hallway is pretty empty. David, wearing a hat, sits against his locker and does homework. Paul approaches and plunks down right next to David. <sighs> These kids are unbelievable, huh? David looks around. Yep, Paul's talking to him. You know, Mr. Kavanaugh, I can't stress enough how bad it is to see you talking to me, you know, socially. <laughs> um, I mean, today, Barden, Braden made me the uh, star of his YouTube video, you know. Uh, <clears throat> look out for that bag of nickels. <laughs> is, that what I, is that what I think it is? David pulls off his hat, revealing a bruise on his forehead. See? These kids, none of them want to learn from me. It's like LeBron James came to play and the team decided, nah, it's cool, we're done with the basketball. Uh, I just... So, uh, to be clear, you're saying you're the LeBron James of teaching? Yes. You saw what I could do in the honors class? Those kids thrived. Yeah, they're a bunch of honor kids. They'll do anything to make their transcripts look good. It's all about what good college you get into. Which is not gonna happen to me now. Ah, you're smart, you'll be fine. You need to stop stressing out. Have you tried smoking weed? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not worried about you, but the other kids don't realize they've been given a gift of a great teacher. Yeah, no offense, but I was talking to some of the other honor kids and they already like Mr. Mancini. And he's an idiot. I saw his res resume. He listed cards against humanity as a special skill. Right. I mean, so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I don't think it takes a super motivated teacher to teach super motivated kids, but it does take a great teacher to teach uh, the kids who, you know, put a bunch of nickels in a bag and throw it at people. I don't know, man. I've been in this game a little longer than you. There's, there's no one they'll listen to. Trust me. Wow, that sounds like a bit of, that sounds like you're, uh, you know, making an excuse. I think that's breaking rule number three of Mr. Paul Kavanaugh, no? Paul considers this and we cut to the suspension classroom. Paul enters the class. It's tense. I owe you all an apology. There's a line towards the end of the fourth season of The Wire, some say the most poignant season, where the character of Dookie says... Dude, what's your apology? I know I act like I know everything and my life is going exactly how I want it to, but the truth is I didn't originally set out to be a teacher. I had a different dream. I bet it was something really dumb. I thought I was going to be the next Jonathan Franzen or Tom Perota. Oh, I wanted to play pro baseball too. Jesus, no, I wanted to be a novelist. Oh, so she was right about it being something dumb? <laughs> Maybe it was. I tried for years, and I failed. I got depressed, my fiance left me. And instead of writing the great American novel in a cool warehouse space in gentrified part of Harlem, 
I wound up authoring VCR manuals in a studio apartment next to a Hooters. Oh my God. Even I think that's depressing. And I live in constant fear of ice showing up and deporting half my family. Steven, put your phone down. And then I got a job here teaching the honors English kids and they soaked up every word I said. It felt great. But I didn't realize until I met you guys that I wasn't being challenged. And the only way to truly learn is through adversary. Adverse, adversity. So I'm sorry. And also, thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay? I lay out all my cards on the table and all I get is okay? Yeah, great apology, but we're still screwed. Yeah. Principal Davis is making us scrape off all the gum in the school on Saturday because we made you look super dumb on the news. That's weird. He loves things that make me look super dumb. Yeah, we all do. But a bunch of parents heard about it, and he had them, uh, and he had to spend the morning talking to them. Yeah, and the only thing he hates more than talking to parents is not taking four dumps a day right outside our window. <laughs> Scraping all the gum does seem excessive. We told you this is how the school handles us. They want to shove us in a crappy classroom and forget we exist then this is the year about showing them we do exist. Ugh, stop trying to pretend you're one of us. Okay, you have your Saturday free to fart out your novel. For your information, I was going to spend my Saturday attending an IPA tasting DJed by Questlove. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course he was. <laughs> well, we still have to clean gum, and this school has a serious hep C problem. I'm going to talk to Principal Davis, and I promise you this. You will not scrape one piece of gum on Saturday. We're interior of the gym. The kids all struggle to scrape gum off the bleachers. Except, except Stephen, who draws something on the front of the bleachers. Why aren't you scraping? I'm creating my masterpiece, right? When someone closes the bleachers, bleachers it's going to be a giant picture of Principal Davis trying to S his own D. <laughs> you are so disgusting. Mm -hmm. I knew Kavanaugh wouldn't get us out of this. Suddenly, the gym lights dim and the opening of Alan Parsons' project's Sirius, the Jordan-era Chicago Bulls intro, plays over the PA system. And now, at six foot four inches, hailing from Yale University and starting at power educator, Paul Kavanaugh! The music stops abruptly. The lights flip back on. Kaylee stands at the circuit breaker and stares daggers at Paul, who holds a wireless mic. Why are you still torturing us? I was just trying to pump you up, because I told you, you weren't going to have to scrape gum. And you're not gonna. Guys? Suddenly, the gym doors open, and a group of eager students, led by Claudia and holding cleaning equipment, rush in cheering. Let's get scraping, guys! Woo! What are these dipshits doing here? This is my old honors English class. A wise man recently reminded me that these kids will do anything to pad their college resumes. What looks better than beautifying your school through community service? So we don't have to do anything? Not unless you want to pad your college resume, but I'm guessing you're not quite ready for that. <laughs> you're getting to know us better. <laughs> All right, I brought paninis for everyone who wants to eat them while you watch others do work for you. They all grab one. Kaylee walks up to Paul. Mr. Kavanaugh? Yes, Kaylee? This doesn't totally suck. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mr. Kavanaugh. 
Hey, got the whole idea from when we had our little heart-to-heart after school. All the kids turned to David, ready to mock him. Please stop saying things like that out loud. (laughs) Just then, Wendell enters in his weekend leisure wear. Hey, Principal Davis, what are you doing here? I don't normally come in on weekends, but I couldn't pass up watching you clean. Wait, why are the smart kids doing it? Okay, well, they looked at it as an opportunity. Actually, I decided I can't hear your voice on the weekends, too. Ooh, Panini's going to have to enact the principal tax. (laughs) Braden grabs one of the wrapped panini and hands it to him. Well, here, you can have this one. It's like a salami and gouda. (laughs) Don't mind if I do. Wendell crosses off. Braden gets out his phone and points the camera at Wendell. Braden, Braden, what did you put in that panini? Hey, yo, 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 this is your boy Braden, and you're watching. That panini you eating has chewed gum in it, boy. It's, <laughs> it's just so artless. <laughs> Wendell, don't eat that. And we fade out, end of show. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast. All right, I'm here with Justin and Patrick uh, to talk about Suspended. Thanks for coming in, guys. Thanks for having yeah. us. That uh, was, it was cool to hear that thing read out loud, even though there was like a lot of moments where I was like, oh, that joke fucking died so hard. <laughs> Should we start there? Should we start talking sure. about the jokes? Yeah, let's, let's yeah. end in a positive place. Yeah. Start, yeah. All right, we'll, we'll start. Because um, there's other things I wanted to put it, but since we're here... I did want to. Say, there was that ice joke. Oh my god! <laughs> we wrote it before you know any uh, before ice became a weaponized tool of Donald Trump, and and it was like that joke bombed so hard and rightfully so. And I knew it was one of those things where you know when you're at a table read and you you know a joke's coming that's gonna do really poorly, and you're like. It's like the, tr- the 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 tank is heading towards the mine, and there's no way you can turn the ship. And I'm like, oh god, oh no! And, it, and literally, my I went like blurry, and like that like sound where it's like it sounds like you're inside of like a steel drum. I was like, this joke is coming, and and yeah. then it came. <laughs> yeah, and then it came and it page. exploded the tank. It's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing because it's just you know what do you think? It's just people. There's certain. Like sort of hot button things where, where you know, and this has happened certainly in other of these these readings we've seen it. Like, and it's just people don't know whether they it's it's safe to laugh or they can laugh or the moment is just you know. And, and the instinct I assume behind that joke was you you want to make a comment about something that's that's going on, but yet it just oh man, Ill, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah. We wanted we wanted that character to be a bit of a provocateur, but he 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 provoked too much, I guess. And like, uh, yeah, this is coming from people who well, I've had about five jokes publicly booed at multicam. Well, to be fair though, our first show we were ever we ever did slash were on was shit my dad says, and a few episodes into that or one episode into that, we were like, oh, this show's terrible, but it's fun <laughs> pitching jokes that get 
Pat decided it was fun pitching jokes to get the audience to boo. So a lot of those you were doing on purpose. Well, by the but... end of it, I, I thought I, I could maybe master this, if nothing else, for <laughs> so, <year> television. <laughs> so we'd like... It's tough to get boos from a, from a live taping audience. Oh, yeah. They're, they're happy to be there. Yeah. They're like yeah. fed with candy. There's Pizza. like a, you know... Yeah, I've rarely seen the boo. Pat got yeah. several boos. Got some boos. I did. Well, yeah. most of them, like in, on that show in particular, were lascivious old man jokes at the expense of uh, beloved actress Jean Smart, and the audience was definitely uh, not on not on our side, not yeah. on William Shatner's side when no. he's uh, telling hand job jokes to a woman in her golden years. Yes, to a national treasure. <laughs> yes, yeah. one of the designing women. Uh, I think that one too. It's like you know when you do a table read. Uh, of like especially a multi you can like you hear all the jokes that aren't working and then you're like oh well i thought that was gonna play like this and it played like that and then you kind of remove them and the, kind of, the cool thing about i think for listeners of this of your podcast is like you get to hear the first table read of these right. things so like <laughs> which you, you never get to see you're getting to hear something which you would never get to see because everything you know things are are left in which would clearly be rewritten but there's no exactly like who's gonna stop if us? we did a rewrite after our after our table read it would have been a big rewrite you know <laughs> like it would have been a large rewrite where we like walk back to the office and we're like fuck well what are we gonna have for dinner tonight for sure <laughs> we're gonna stay through dinner and probably late and, like the the writers you brought there to pitch jokes you're like you guys can just go home we're gonna like, <laughs> have to break this thing all apart i don't think it was i don't think it was that big a rewrite <laughs> i having heard it i don't think I don't think it's that. Well, that's very nice of you to situation. say. But what I always do find interesting is, you know, you wrote it, you rewrote it multiple times, and yet until you hear it out loud, yeah. you're not aware of the things that in retrospect, having heard it, you're like, oh, why did I ever think that was going to be a good scene or that that was going to work? Or why did I think this chunk deserved to stay in this script? But you don't know that until you hear it. Do you guys ever... Do you read your stuff out loud, just the two of you, when you're writing? Well, we always do a pre-read of anything that's going to be table read. Right. So, but, but, that, but that's at the point where it's already going to have a table read. I'm saying at a point before that, like when you're just handing in a draft to the studio network, do you guys read it out loud? We will... I mean, we'll just naturally, when we're going through it with our like our writer's assistant, we're scrolling through it, we will read it out loud, but generally it's it's pretty half-assed or mumbled. <laughs> yeah. So it's really hard to tell because we're never giving it our all, but we probably should do more of that. We've actually worked on, we worked on a pilot that, uh, won't name names, but it was, a, it was a pilot where we were sitting in a room with like five other uh, working writers, and we were there all day helping out on someone's pilot only to find out that, and, and, and by the way, you, I... I to tie this to the reading out loud thing, you had like all five like writers reading, doing a table read just internally first before going digging in and, and doing punch up and all that stuff. And it was like one of the worst table reads I've ever seen in my life because we had never, we hadn't read the script before and all that. And we worked all day on this project and then found out that the pilot hadn't even been like pitched. Like or it bought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was fucking. It was actually crazy. at this at this very studio that yeah. we're sitting in right now. But uh, yeah. Anyways, we 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 don't really do that. I think uh, we probably should. Having heard it out loud. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. It's a. I have learned and forgotten and relearned so many times. But when you're doing a rewrite, say you know your introduction and you're doing a rewrite, um, 
it's always super helpful once you finish a scene in the room to go like, let's read this mm -hmm. scene through. You play this part, you play this part. And when you do that, you always find things like, oh wait, that doesn't work. And, I, and that you yeah. don't notice when you're just kind of proofing it or, or reading it. Yeah. And yet I often forget to do that. Yeah. Even though I know it's an incredibly valuable tool. Yeah. Um, just to just say the words out loud and then sometimes it just like reveals like oh wait this <laughs> this this doesn't work in a way that just reading it on the page yeah um, we're, more, also, we're like, more gut guys than talent guys <laughs> yeah we've gotten far on our gut uh yeah also like you sometimes you'll read through a scene and you'll be like oh nothing fucking happened in the scene like this is not moving the story forward a, even a little like yeah, why, why is, is the scene, scene here in, yeah you know uh, and I think the nice thing I think about, I think that happens more, at least for us in single, because mm -hmm. there's like a lot, there's a lot more kind of happening in a single cam in terms of like scenes and, and potentially like moves. Um, but then in a multi, like it'll really stand out if you're like, oh, there's no new information in this scene. Right. Like we're just, you know, and I think you, you understand that better if you read the scene and you're like, oh, this is just two fucking people talking. No, yeah. Yeah. Because it's easy to get sucked to that. Like, oh, this is fun banter, but yeah. it's like, oh, but nothing. It <laughs> it's not serving any purpose. So yeah. wait. So let's let's rewind. So when you wrote this, so when you're, um, what had happened the previous pilot season for you guys? Well, so we were about to go out with pitches when the the studio that we're under a deal at had us take over a show on NBC called Powerless. Okay. So we literally we were we didn't go out with anything that year because then we came in and took over another show. Okay. And yeah. So you had just run Powerless has how many episodes of that? Thirteen. You did thirteen. Okay. And that and so that had a, at the point that you were coming up with the pitch for this was Powerless kind of canceled was it maybe coming back oh yeah no it's it dead. dead okay it so you're dead. facing you're you're in the deal at warner brothers they're expecting you to pitch stuff and so you're in sort of idea generation mode yeah and what does that look like for you guys like how do you do that when you're facing hey we got to come up with our pilot ideas well, uh, we we go onto our Google document of our all of our old ideas that we have not <laughs> actually uh, put through the ringer yet. Uh, that is like the first step. Um, no, but like, and then that, we're like, which one of these can we lie and say is from our own personal experience? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they love <laughs> because God love for fucking yeah. bid you pitch something that didn't actually happen. Right, that you, you maybe just yeah. came up with in your imagination. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like maybe a writer does. Yeah, <laughs> we have had success though. Talking about your dad. That's, we've had two shows true. in the air just based on your dad that's true. so it has worked and the network pitch that we're taking out this year is a relationship between me and my mom so it's uh it, it is a tried and true formula for us but uh we like last year or the uh, when we were pitching uh suspended uh before we did that we, ha we had the luxury of sort of a backlog of stuff that um we, we had in the pitch. works before we took over powerless okay. so we had a show that was already um essentially like we, we, we all thought, including the studio, thought it was going to be pretty much pre-sold to the CW. It was the first ever hour-long thing that we had... It was. We jumped into, huh? And it was. And it, yeah, and it, yeah, and it was. And, uh, and, and so we kind of... We knew that that was, that was a thing, but we wanted our first position um, to be uh, a comedy. Um, and first position, for people who don't know, means if you sell multiple things and if they both 
by you know, sell two things and they both get on. Which never happens. Which never happens. <laughs> yeah. But if it does, yeah. your first position project means like your go, you guys would be actually showrunners on that, and the second position one would probably be handed off to another showrunner for you for you guys to supervise. Just to explain, yeah. first position for people who. Yeah, I mean it. it <laughs> yeah, said, uh, it, it basically <laughs> never ever happens. Yeah. But like anytime yeah. a writer, we're like staffing a show and and we hire a writer and the writer's like, well, I have this pilot and that's gonna be first position. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be working on our show. <laughs> yeah, you rarely get that lucky. Yeah, yeah. So you wanted your first position. Sorry. Oh yeah, no. It, uh, to be a half hour, and um, you know we had worked with this producer Len Goldstein, uh, who used to run development for yeah, Warner Brothers. Well. Um, and he he was on Powerless with us. He kind of came in as like the uh, the uh, Ray Donovan for the studio to, to fix Powerless along with us. And uh, and and he was like, I, I think you guys should do. I want to do something with you guys, and I think it should be. Uh, he's like, there there needs to be like a new like that '70s show, like, well, like Welcome Back, Cotter. Sure, <clears throat> sure. And and so we you know we we gave a little bit of thought to our our respective uh, school experiences, which we spoke to a little bit before the mm-hmm. read but um, I went to an all guys Catholic school very small and Justin went to a big big public high school in San Diego and uh, we thought well what's sort of like how can we, how can we personalize this and how can we sort of like mishmash our two experiences into one and it became this pitch that was sort of like well what if like Frazier taught um, you know the kids from stand and deliver. <laughs> And, and and then it sort of became a little bit hopefully more realistic than than that um, not by much I don't think <laughs> but but uh, but yeah we kind of we kind of started in that place and I think we are we initially uh, ended up with a, with a pitch that was a little bit too much like AP bio which was is, maybe still is an NBC show I think you got a, did it get yeah, a second I think it, you got it, a second season I don't know yeah but um, that in that one, Glenn Howerton was this sort of like celebrated uh, uh, professor who was disgraced and uh, wound up teaching high school. And and we kind of had a similar way in, and it just even though he was teaching like our, our teacher was teaching sort of ne'er do wells instead of uh, you know the honors set, uh, it still felt a little bit similar. And so I feel so, like that always happens too. Yeah. It's like it's always like you come up with an idea. The same year, three other people come up with the same idea. It's never yeah. like you have you did it the year before. <laughs> it's right. always like, yeah. oh no, there's three boat captain ideas this year. Really, there's yeah. three fucking boat captain I ideas. Know. No one can ever believe that you're not ripping off any of those. It just does seem to happen. That yeah, way. we definitely had that with the Goldbergs and Surviving Jack, where we shot yeah. our pilots at the exact same time. But Surviving Jack was a mid-season, and then. Goldbergs was a fall show, and by the time Surviving Jack aired, everybody was like, "Oh, we ripped off like, the Goldbergs." I'm like, "No, yeah. we did. We actually shot our pilot a week before theirs." Um, but uh, I mean, just in in general, the, the the way that we always approach it is is just yeah, uh, <laughs> aping our old old ideas, and then just talking about it ad nauseum. Because I mean, I think uh, maybe most of the people watching this uh or listening rather i watch podcasts um don't understand that's an idiot (laughs) yeah i am an idiot and also like i i didn't know my uh coming into to television as a writer just how much it is talking it's just a lot of talking you have that sort of like romanticized uh 
uh, view of like being a writer in a room by yourself or with a partner or whatever and it is very different than that um, particularly working in broadcast television and so I've I, at least just speaking for myself I've I finally become comfortable with just talking which is what I've been doing a lot of right now <laughs> well it's like also when you're running a show you know it's like you have to lead the conversation like you can't check out at all yeah. and that's I think one of the most like exhausting parts of the job it's like you just have to continually lead a conversation and shape it and you know i think that's just like at the end of the day i'm just like Bleh. yeah the sheer amount of words that you say in a day as a showrunner is and, and so when you do come home to your spouse partner or whatever and they don't understand why you don't feel like <laughs> feel like talking it's just like you just don't understand like how much talking I yes. did today, like all day long. It was yeah. You're just you're you're leading the company. You never just get to you know rarely get to just kick back and you know be quiet for an hour. No, like you, you're you're talking through it. So and so at the idea generator with the two of you, I assume so. This idea, so Len gives you the spark of a a, a teacher show. You come up with this concept, and then. At what point do you guys start to feel like, oh, you know what, this is, this could really be something? Um, I think when we uh, started to like land, most stuff we write that's like we have conceived of has like a large central character that's like, we've, we find the shows that are easiest and most fun for us to write are the ones where the main character is also the funniest character. You know what I mean? Uh, it's really hard, like when you have kind of the uh, straight person, the straight person as the lead. Where it's like, oh, look at all these crazy people around me. Then everybody in the writers' room is like, yeah, I want to write jokes for all these crazy people, and I don't want to write jokes for this person. Right? Yeah, you know. And, and well, the craziest or the funniest, and then also the most active. Like when we had our Surviving Jack show on Fox. We had the central character was the funniest, but he was also like part of his character was like. I just don't want to be involved with like, this no, I don't want to and be bothered. And so because he was a passive character by nature, it was hard to generate stories. It ended up like he was reacting to everything that his his child got into, which is like part of being a parent, but you also want your central character to drive the story. Yeah, so I think when we found this like character that we really liked and jokes were coming easy for us... Uh, Although when you listen to the, the, the podcast, they might not sound like they should have come that easy. Maybe yeah. we, maybe they shouldn't have come so easy. Maybe we should have thought a little bit more about <laughs> really that. <laughs> um, that's when we were like, oh, okay, uh, this seems like it's something. Um, so you and, kind of have that Paul Kavanaugh character, and then at that point, you have to sort of figure out who the kids, who the sort of sweat hugs. Yeah, yeah, totally. And those were, I think, pretty fun because it was like all people that we had kind of gone to school with, you know, like versions of those people. Um, and that felt... And the tough thing about a pilot, especially an ensemble, I mean, you know, you ran the biggest ensemble. It's like to be able to do a pilot where you're introducing six characters and not have them just be like archetypes, right. you know? It's really hard to like give any depth to yeah. fourth on the call sheet, but when you turn in your draft, it's always the same thing, which is like the network's like, I want to know more about four, five, and six on the call sheet, and I'm like, well, guys, then you're gonna know less about one, two, and three. Like, 
I get it. In series, we will flesh out all of these people. And I think to Fox's credit, they really got that. Like, Susanna was like, I know there's going to be some shortchanged people. Maybe in just in these moments, you could, like, specify, be a little more specific about them. Um, but usually our experience is, like, you know, all right, let's figure out in the most basic sense who these characters are. Right. And get that across, and then we can kind of, like, refine them as we go. Yeah, it's so much the challenge in a sitcom pilot is that you need to establish these characters sort of joke areas quickly so the audience knows what they're laughing at. But often the most expedient way of doing that is it's the dumb character and it's the conceited character and these very one-dimensional kind of things just so you're just like, um, oh, that's the oh, that's the joke. But it works against trying to establish it so i think even if you look at the friends pilot um phoebe's just a spacey hippie yeah and joey's the, the goomba and and they're much they're quite one-dimensional you don't notice it looking back at it now because you're bringing everything you know yeah. about them yeah uh you know sort of back to that pilot but the fact is even you know, people look at that as this great pilot and it is a very good pilot but characters are reduced um just so you know what you are going to laugh at for them. Um, and what you did with, you know, it's sort of invisible, I think, the skill it takes to do what you did in that first scene with all those kids. You introduce a bunch of kids in one scene, and they each kind of have their moment to establish themselves, which is a hard thing to do because all of a sudden here's a bunch of yeah. kids, and we have to meet them all. Um, but you don't want it to feel so schematic that it's like, it's now my turn yeah, to talk, yeah, and now yeah, it's mine. And, but something. you guys actually had them really, one introduction kind of leading into the next character's introduction in well, the way they're relating you, to each other. <laughs> and uh, when I hear that scene, I'm just like, that's a very hard scene to write. Um, it was the hardest scene. We rewrote it several yeah. times. I mean, we probably wrote that like, 10 times to try and we were to be frank we were less concerned about it being funny as we were as like being kind of interesting introductions to these kids and like really getting across who they were i remember like a lot of times we'll reference like the cheers pilot which i think they one of the things they did so well is like you know they didn't take every character and have them have you know we need everybody to speak in this scene like coach is coach only has one line in the cheers pilot and it's him picking up a phone and he goes call for Ernie Mancuso, whatever his name is, and they're like, Coach, that's you. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. And that's his only line in the pilot. And you're like, that's everything you need to know about that guy, and we're not forced to, like, see that guy play the kind of, like, ah, clueless, not-all-there dude through the, the whole pilot. And I think, like, that's a ballsy thing to do. And it, and, and so and in this, it's like, you, you just have to... We were just trying to, like, okay, pick our spots. Like, if somebody's speaking, let's make sure they're speaking because there's a reason for them to speak as opposed to, like, this guy hasn't spoken in a while. Right. You know, or she hasn't spoken in a while. And that's where I think these pilots get, like, fat and really bad is, like, people are just speaking so that their character has spoken. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, you just need enough of that guy. You get enough of Coach to be like, oh, I'd like to see more. I know who that guy <laughs> yeah. is. Uh, you know, those are the moments where you're just like, Okay, this one joke is just, it's this character's voice, and now we know who, if, if 
they don't speak again in this whole pilot. We know who that person is, and that's yeah. what I, you know, I'm always searching for those moments when you're introducing. Yeah. Character. Okay, this is the the voice of this character in this one line, and they're set, and people know, um, and it is that that is very hard to do. Um, yeah, it's also like part of your selling tool, you know, because then the executive reads that and if they can't figure out who that person is in episode 65, you're not getting picked up to pilot. Like, it's just not going to happen. And what's tough is the fact is, once you cast these roles, an actor often appears on screen and tells you 90% of what you need to know, but at the script stage, you don't have that on your side, so you need to have those perfect lines. It's like, okay, I I got that character, I know who that person is. When did the Hamilton intro... That was uh, late. That was late? Very late edition, because, I mean, the Paul character went through probably the biggest evolution of any any of the other characters. Um, He started out, he was, like, a little bit too cast member of Frasier. He was, like, too too much like one of the Crane brothers. It became kind of obnoxious. In, in a public school setting, and it became this thing where, like, of course this guy's getting shit on by these kids. He, like, he's from a different show. Yeah. And so we, we ended up going from this guy who kind of clearly thought that he was better than everybody else to a guy that, that you know, if you asked him, gun to his head, if he was better than everybody else, he would say, no, he's just, he's one of them. He's, you know, he's he's beloved, but that's because he's, you know, he's super honest with Down the kids. Down yeah, and, and we kind of had, like, Max Greenfield in our heads, just, just to give you kind of, like, the, mm. the prototype. And and so, you know, we kept thinking, like, what, you know, it, it honestly it boiled down to the studio saying to us, like, you really want this first scene to be something that an actor of a certain caliber reads and is like, I have to play this part. And then we were like, well, what better way to do that than to steal from Lin-Manuel Miranda? <laughs> right. And so we, we ended up, with this, with this sort of Hamilton bit, and and we thought it would be a showcase for any actor to and uh, you know come in and, and do this sort of theatrical uh, production um, in front of a large audience, both in the show and the, the live studio audience that would presumably be watching this. So, yeah, that that it was very late edition. Yeah, it was, it was but the last I think rewrite. I think we also like our philosophy is we're so like. And we've written these kinds of pilots, but we're so tired of seeing a pilot where the opening scene is an exposition dump, even mm-hmm. if it's like skillfully done, yeah. where you're just like, no, it's a comedy. The opening scene of your your comedy needs to like tell you exactly who that character is and and be f- funny, like a big funny scene. Like you want like you want somebody to read it and get excited from the start, and then you can kind of like slow play it and hit, and hit them with like you know a little bit of like more about the show. And so we were constantly searching for what is a big, funny opening to a show. And then when we kind of... This felt so character-specific, like only this guy would do this stupid thing, um, that we were like, yes, absolutely, uh, that that will work. Yeah. And I, when I was reading it, and I got to that point, and you know, this was like, but I don't give grades. I don't, <laughs> it's, just, you know, it, it, it's just like, this is a great opening way to introduce a character in a setting and it just popped off the page in a way that you don't see that much and it is we've talked about this on the podcast so many times but it's your first scene in a pilot is so hard to write to just grab an audience when they don't know anyone 
in the show. They don't know who they are. Um, and so it was, a, it, you know, respect. Yeah, oh, thank cool. you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Like, you know, yeah, I have this like theory about like why comedy pilots are are so hard to do versus I think drama I think drama pilots are easier to do, <laughs> and and the reason being is I think like it's sort of like a comedy pilot saying like Hey, I'm funny, and it's like if I was going to introduce you to a friend and I was like You got to meet my friend. My friend is hilarious. Immediately you're going in being like Fuck this guy. Yeah. I, I, this guy's not funny, and then immediately like you start kind of on the defensive of like I'm expecting sweaty jokes, and it, and Whereas, like, the funniest people you hang out with are your friends, that you you have this comfortableness with them, you know, you have this, like, sort of shorthand, and that's why, like, comedies, as they go further, get funnier, because you feel you're laughing with your friends, you're not being introduced to the funny friend, and I think that that's, like, the promo departments in these, like, you know, MAC this Thursday, he's crazy, and then there's, like, you know, you already are, like, well, fuck this, you know, um, so I think it's like re- it is why it's so challenging in a comedy pilot. It's like, okay, how do I introduce this person and make them not meet my funny friend and instead just like, hey, meet this guy. He's cool. Or this girl, she's cool. And then you'll start to laugh, you yeah. know? And in this case, yeah, not just him, but I <laughs> love that whole group of kids in, in attention, you know, like those, you've got a lot of, of people. To, yeah. To introduce, um, how much thought did had you given to to future episodes and the season? And... Well, it's funny. We when we pitched it to Fox, we had and I, we may have covered this a little bit in in the live read, but um, there was a whole serialized student election oh, right. uh, that was a component of the pitch. Um, but one of the first things to go was that purely as a function of the network asking us to simplify it a bit, make it a little bit more repeatable uh, versus serialized. But, um, you know, when we were coming up with the pitch itself, we definitely had sort of like signposts along the way that would just naturally occur in any like election. Um, so I think we had mostly thought about it in those terms. Um, but then once we had, ha- we had like this sort of finished written pilot, uh, I don't think we thought that much beyond it. No, I mean, it's tough. It's like pilots are hard because you don't want like a really plotty pilot. No. You just end up, and, and like we always like aspire to this like perfectly plotted, you know, pilot with all these like this great twist at the end of the first act break and the second act break, you know, you're blindsided. But it's, it's like, that's not why people are watching pilots and getting into pilots. They like the characters or they don't like the characters. And you're best served, at least we feel like, you're best served by having a simple story where you, you know, get to know the characters and you get comfortable in the world and then you can laugh along with the characters, <clears throat> you know, and there's obviously an emotional investment and a story, but like, you know, and I, I think that's why when we originally, but every year we get sucked into like this really plotty pilot <laughs> that we want to do. And then as I think with this one, we were ultimately like, yeah, Fox is right. Like, this is just too much story. For yeah, I wonder if part of that is the the way the process works bec- that you have to write these uh, sort of story beat sheets and outlines, which as a document is designed to showcase plot, right? Yeah, and, and that's so much of the process. So when you're doing that, you feel like in order to write that document well, you have to have a lot of plot, yeah, cool stuff because that's all they're seeing in that document. Really, is the story beats. Uh, which leads you to think, well, this, I need a bunch of cool stories to make this outline seem good. Whereas once you get into writing it, often what's really making it good is, is 
dialogue and attitudes of characters in the scenes, um, which is a very different thing. So yeah. I, I wonder if that's part of why you, you fall into that trap over and over again is because when you're writing that outline, it's like, oh, we better have a bunch of plot. Um, yeah, I never really thought of that, but that, that is probably right. Like, yeah. We should do away with the story document. Oh, I think we well, should. The yeah. worst yeah. document. I'm sure you've it's talked about that. It's not a great literary form. Um, <laughs> and also, no one can decide on how long it should be. You turn in a story area that's two paragraphs, and they're like, well, this isn't enough. We need to know more. And then you turn in a story area that's four pages, and they're like, well, this is too much. Yeah. Like, Yeah, what is this? Is it an outline? Or yeah. Just, I don't know. I just, yeah. This is never, would never be part of my writing process, this thing you're making me write. It's like the inevitable thing that you have to go through. They can react to something, and then you can get on a phone call to be like, well, that's not exactly what we meant. And then they're like, oh, okay, all right, go write the outline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as to what a pilot is, especially a pilot like this with a big main character, is a lot of what this is serving as is a sales tool to try and att- attract an actor who is going to get your show yeah. on the air. That's, so a lot of it is, you know, that that's the purpose of, of this for a show like this is like you need that like you're saying you need an actor to read that and feel like okay I I want to play this part and then you can get one of those guys who's on the network list of if we get one of these guys that show's going to go. Yep. Yep. Um, that's the, that's the thing I think we it took us a little while to learn in, in this business is like it is so talent driven you can have a mediocre script but if you have a great cast it's going to be a great show and you can have a great sh- script and a mediocre cast and it's a mediocre show and it's like and it, you can't get someone to do your show unless they read it and they're like that seems like a fun thing for me to play yeah. like we had this pilot that was like kind of our it was like this R-rated comedy about like a football coach or whatever and it was like a tough sell to networks but a super easy sell to actors like every, we were, had no problem getting people attached to it because it was this like big juicy thing for one actor to play and he's like I get to do all this shit he's not thinking about like oh was, what does this look like in episode 10 or what's it he's just like I get to say all these words in this way <laughs> like you know so I think that we now are much more conscious of thinking about like are we attracting talent with this role? Right. Which is another great thing about hearing it out loud is realizing... Yeah, we realized, no, we would not be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what I was trying to say. Um, Well, it was really really fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed... Oh, my God. Out loud aside... aside We had every emotion. (laughs) Yeah. We went through every emotion watching it, yes. Yes. It, it, I was I, enjoyment, you know what's funny? mostly self-loathing I, enjoyment. I wonder if you feel like this but table reads are my least favorite part of the entire process just in terms of like when you're actually doing a show because that's when the big notes come and that's when you see things die and that's when you're like you're naked you're yeah. just like out there naked and not only are you naked but like somebody else has your you know has your clothes yeah. <laughs> you know like you're out there and somebody else is doing those lines and so with this I like. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be read out loud," and then my brain immediately went to like, "Ah, table read." Oh, I'm terrified. And but it was a lot. It was just. It, it was once I got into it, and I was like, "Oh, there's not gonna be any notes after this. Like, it is whatever it is." I I was really like enjoying the process of of just reading it. And also, you guys got such like great people to do it. Yeah, yeah. Really that, that cast was really fun for this one. It was a lot of. I, I met a lot of new people, and it was just it was a really cool cast of young actors. I found playing uh, all those kids. Yeah, and I thought Matt was was great. He, he was, was great. he was really great. He nailed the um, Hamilton thing. Yeah, 
But you're really, I mean, what you're saying is exactly the whole reason I do this um, because it's so nice to have a table read where you don't have that feeling of, oh, at the end of this, I'm going to be tortured. Like someone's going to yeah. hit me really hard <laughs> at the end of this thing. So you, there's a lim- you, you can't enjoy it that much in a real networked table read situation because no matter how much you may laugh, you know what's, what's coming and it's not going to be pleasant. But just being able to hear it with no stakes and no notes coming yeah. and an audience that's kind of on, on your side yeah. Yeah. is, you know, every writer we've done is just like, oh, that was, that was oh, really fun. It, um, was, it was awesome. It was fantastic. I remember thinking after Caroline's, uh, I was like, how great that it this allowed this like beautiful thing to be to come because I just enjoyed Caroline so much. Yeah, Rob Five Thousand. Yeah, Rob Five Thousand. Listen to that one. You should go back and listen to it. Uh, it was just so funny and like you. If that script had been through a network process, they would have just fucking <laughs> put the pillow over its face so many different times because they just wouldn't been able to like process it and and just hearing it out loud. It was like just the jokes were like so crisp and so funny and like you were just like ah oh, yeah this is why this is why Andrew's doing this yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. like that was a script you know none of the yeah none of the joy had been sucked out of it for her she you know because little did I know she hadn't <laughs> sold it she hadn't gotten it <laughs> but yeah that was just her having fun writing this thing um and that is very different from all the things we're talking about here all the different masters you have to serve when you're doing this when you, you're developing it for a network Hopefully you still have some fun, and I sense in this one there's definitely things where I said, "Oh, these guys, I know they had fun writing that." Oh yeah, yeah. That character and all. But it is harder to have that fun when you're just dealing with all the different notes, and not even the notes you're getting, the notes that you're anticipating that are in your head that you're sort of self-censoring yourself. Um, and yeah, there's something about that Rob Five Thousand script that's just like, "Oh, this is clearly her just writing what she thought was funny." Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Our friend has this really funny analogy where he's like, he's like, you know, if you're having sex with your spouse, there's probably someone who could give you some notes to make it better, to like <laughs> for both parties. Uh, but even if they were there making it better, it'd still make it worse. <laughs> you know, like because you don't want them there doing that. Just let me make love to my spouse. <laughs> That's a great uh, note to end on. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. As always, thank you to my co-host, Ben Blacker, uh, and to my assistant, Noah Findling. Couldn't do this without you. We'll be back at Dynasty Typewriter at the Hayworth Theater on September 23rd. Go to Eventbrite, search Dead Pilot Society, get your tickets. I promise it's always a really good time. Um, And... You can stay tuned and see all the casting details as it happens. If you follow us on social media, Twitter, Dead Pilots Pod, Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society, uh, we'll be rolling out all the casting info. Like I said at the top, just press subscribe. Just just do it. Um, maybe give us a rating uh, while you're uh, there. Um, we will see you next time. You. Maybe I'll see you if you come to the show. Otherwise, you'll hear me next time. I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening to Dead Pilot Society.